Uh, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 2. That's where we're going to start. Um, today's going to be a topical study um, on, as I announced on Sundays. I'm going to talk about just relationships and people coming together. The way the Bible um, teaches it. So, if you, have, um, if you don't have a Bible, you can raise your hand. I think Solomon can hand you one. I'd like you to follow. But let's pray. Father, Lord, we thank you that your word has the answers for us for today. Lord, there is, um, we don't have any other wisdom, Lord. We don't have another place to go to to get wisdom on how to do life, Lord. It's all in your word, Lord. Father, I pray that we will trust your word, Lord, that we will be a people who have faith, that if we do things your way, we shall be well, Lord, that it will be well with us, Lord, if we do and build our lives in the ways that you have instructed. So, Father, I pray, Lord, that you will come during this time, Lord. Father, that um, in weakness, Lord, that you may yet make your truth known, Lord, and make it a blessing to us, Father. Lord, you are a good God. You love your people. Lord, you desire the best for every single one of us. Lord, I thank you for my brothers and my sisters who have come here, Lord, to worship you, to hear your word, Lord. Father, I pray that you bless them, that your word, Lord, will bring clarity, encouragement, instruction, correction, Lord. Whatever they need, Lord, tonight, whatever we need, Lord, Father, speak to my own heart as well, Lord. I humble myself. We humble ourselves before you, Lord. We pray for the anointing of your Holy Spirit, Father. Lord, um, above all, we desire you, Lord. We desire to walk with you. We desire to have a relationship, a thriving, growing relationship with you from which all other things flow, Lord. Father, it is about you. We pray that Jesus Christ will be glorified in the midst of us, that um, you would draw us closer to you. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. So, when you're building a house, the most important part is a foundation. It's not, there are other parts of the house that do matter, but if you get the foundations wrong, it's the day the storm comes and you're in the house, you're not going to look at your spouse and say, Aren't you glad we chose the right paint color for these walls? When a tornado is coming or a hurricane, a Category 5, is, and it's like that with life. There are certain things that you can't rush over, and foundations is one of those things. There are times when you see um, a house, there are doors or walls that are cracking on the third floor, and you can trace the problem down to, a, uh, to, a, to concrete on the bottom floor that was not done properly or that's cracking. And it's also one of the most expensive things to fix uh, when the foundation, has, when the whole house has been built and the foundation is right now. Why do I bring that up? Because it is sad to say that. When you look, you see, I'm an engineer by training, and you learn as an engineer, you know, numbers don't lie. You look at numbers, you look at trends, and when you look at some of the statistics that among Christians, I'm talking about evangelical Christians, that the divorce rate is the same in the church as in the world. You look at um, the, just the quality of life um, among believers, married believers, it's no better than in the world. You have to start asking yourself, well, what's the problem? Why, why is it, um, even, and this is true, even among pastors. And you may not know, but in my capacity as a church leader, I get to hear a lot of stuff for what goes on in people's lives, in people's houses, things you may not hear. And I'm not talking about anybody in this church, I'm gonna say that. I have, there's a wide uh, network of believers that I know over the years. And I hear stuff uh, from what people, what people share. 
there's a lot of struggles out there. There's a lot of struggles out there. And you have to ask yourself, what's the reason for that? What's the reason for that? And I'll tell you the reason for that. Their problems started before the marriages began. It's that the foundation was not laid properly. So it didn't even take a Category 5 hurricane. A Category 1 came, a tropical storm, and the house is all shaking. And maybe it comes collapsing down. So I want to talk today, you know, this is a large, a huge topic. Um, there, you could spend five, six, seven weeks on this. So I'm going to be condensing all of that into one talk, God helping me. Um, and so we're going to scratch the surface. And there's a, the, a lot of other nice things to talk about, flowers and all. I'm not going to get to cover that. I assume you all know that stuff. I'm going to talk about the foundation, the things that will make, uh, that will likely make you avoid, um, that will make you avoid facing a collapse later on. Jesus clearly said in the parable at the end of the Sermon on the Mount that his words, the words of God, is the foundation. The one who builds his life on obedience to the word of God is going to do well. They will withstand the storm. And that storm um, is not uh, persecution because the storm came to both houses, the one that obeyed God, the one that did not obey God. It's the problems of life, the situations of life that happens. And sometimes people's faith do not sur survive that. So, um, listen, I, I share some of these things with a lot of humility here. Um, I understand some of you have been married. I've been married for a long time, and you're listening to a guy who has not been. Um, and, but I urge you to take what you're going to hear and at least consider it, discern the truth of it, the anointing on it, and, and whether you're married or single or whatnot, I hope that you, um, you learned something today. So... What's the foundation of, of, of relationships in the Bible? So, when God created the world, he created the earth, the trees, well, the earth, the planets, and then the trees, then he made the, uh, the, the animals in the sea, then he made land animals, and then last of all, he created man, human beings. And now, if you live in Boston, you probably heard at some point some people saying, we're not too different from animals. Now, biologically, they're sort of right. That's true. There is um, sometimes not a whole lot of difference. We share 90 plus percent of our DNAs with a lot of different animals. But, there was one thing that distinguished the man, the human being, from everything else that God had created. What was that? Who knows? What was the thing that distinguished man from all the other animals? Man was made in God's image. So it says in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, so God um, so, sorry, verse 26. Then God said, let us make men in our own image, in our own likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created men in his own image, and in the image of God he created him male and female. And so, the Bible says, um, if you go... Um, in if you go in verse in verse in verse in chapter two rather um, of the same book, you just flip a page over. It says in verse 7, 
The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostril the, bre the breath of life, and the man became a living being. So you see, that's what distinguished man from all the things that God had made, all the other animals. It was that the human being was made in the image of God. The image of God is now biological. God is not five foot or six foot tall or anything like that. He created man with the moral sense, with the will, the ability to choose between right and wrong. He created man with more than just an instinct. And then what God did, he's, he breathed, had a special relationship with God. Now, once you take that relationship do and the crimes that are committed, you know that there are some animals out there. And the reason for that is that the, 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 the life of God is no longer there. The image of God has been distorted. Now, then God created the man with a purpose. He said to it, God planted the garden, God created the world, and he said, let them let us make men in our own image and let them rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, over the lives, over all the earth, over all the creatures that move along the ground. God created the man and God gave the man a work to do. He created man with a special relationship with him and that's what qualified the man to be able to work for God. So God wanted a partner the human being, and he created the male human being and told him, here's what I want you to do. And this is a very interesting thing because you can see the goodness of God in that God created a place, a garden, everything was ready. And when the man came there, everything was there ready for him. That is the goodness of God, and God does that for us. He created him with a purpose, created him with something to do, created him with a goal. It was not the result of... Um, a random process. This is why people, when we tell our young people, the youth, that you know, you're just the result of a random process, evolution, a lot of different things came together at random, and here you showed up. No wonder in different places, including the school I attended, where we have a lot of smart people, some of the smartest people on earth are there, literally. And we have a high rate of suicide. Why is that? Because we're telling people you're the result of an accident anyway. You have no purpose. There was an explosion and you came out. And so people say, well, why does it matter then anyways? If I was the result of a random process, I was just the result of chance anyways. What's the purpose of keeping my life? I might as well end it. But when you look at it and you see that, no, God created you with the purpose. You were not an accident. God created you with a specific purpose. He knows you by name. He has a plan for your life. Then, yeah, then your life becomes something that's not random and that you need to be... Um, it has everything to do with it. Because the reason why God created the woman, the Bible says... In verse 18, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. A helper. God, when he created, was creating the woman, he did not say it's not good for man to be um, lonely. The man was not lonely. He was alone. There's a difference between those things. So that's part of the reason why we want to read the Bible, read it very carefully. Alone, lonely means you need someone because you don't want to be by yourself. Alone means he had work to do, he could not do it by himself. So he needed a helper. The very first reference to the woman, God called her a helper. He did not call her Eve, did not call her woman. The whole concept, before there was a woman created, the whole concept was a helper. Now you have to yourself, help him to do what? Help him to continue to have this life of God in him and to do the work that God had called him to do. 
That's the reason why people should get together. Now, you ask most people today, you want to get married, why? Well, I'm bored. I want to be with someone. Well, that's the wrong reason. You want to get married. I don't want to die alone, old and by myself. Well, that's the wrong reason. You ask people, why do you want to get married? Well, there are some tax advantages to that. That's definitely the wrong reason. When God did this whole thing, he was thinking about a helper suitable for the work that he had for them to do. So, here is where going to start to get practical. If you are a man, you want to get together with a girl, you come to me, I will ask you, what has God called you to do? What is God calling you to do right now? What are you doing for the Lord? You need a helper for what? If you don't know, you don't have anything, that you don't need any help. And you don't have, you, you, you go to God and say, I need a helper for what? And then, if you are a girl, there's a guy that's interested in you, you come to me, I'm going to ask you, what has God called him to do? If you tell me I do not know, I will tell you what are you going to help him with. Most people, I will bet you 90% of believers did not think of it this way when they were getting together. It was not a pursuit of God. It was a pursuit of oneself. What I wanted, what I needed, I need comfort, I need sex, I need whatever, other things, so I want to get married. It was all about ourselves was not about God and his purposes and his kingdom and the things that he has to do and the things that have to do with him. Sometimes I see people get married, and, and the way I evaluate, I'll tell you the truth, um, the way I evaluate these things, I've seen people. I, I grew up in church. I've been going to church since I was six months old. I had no choice. My mom dragged me there, and I, that's when she got saved. And I've seen people over time, I see people get married. Uh, the first year, they're both sitting together on the same seat. A year later, she's on the other row, he's in the front. And, and then the third year, she's in the other row, he's in the front. And then you meet them at a conference the next year, he's way at the back. And so I know couples like that. People have known. First year, they're holding hands, all of that. Then a year later, you get in the same van with them. He's sitting here, she's sitting over in the other row. I've seen that. You have to ask yourself, when they got together, did they ask themselves these questions? And the other thing then that I would say about this is this, so let's go to verse 19. Now the Lord had formed out of the ground. This is right after God said he needs a helper, okay? Keep that in mind. Let me read verse 18 again. The Lord said, it is not good for men to be alone. I will make a suitable helper for him. Verse 19, now the Lord had formed out of the ground all the beasts of the field and all the birds of the air. He brought them to the men to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock and all the birds of the air and all the beasts of the field. But look at the end of that verse 20. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So God said the man needs a helper. So what does God do? He brings all the animals that he had created and say, Adam, take a look. So Adam goes and he looks at the monkey. He says, good, I'll call him monkey, but this is not a helper. Fast. He looks at the dog and he said, this is a pretty uh, cool animal. I'll call him dog, but that's not my helper. Pass. He looks at the hippo. He's like, this is an interesting animal. I'll call him a hippo, but this is not my helper. Pass. And he went through 
there must have been maybe hundreds of thousands. It tells you that this man, before the fall of man, this must have been an extremely intelligent being with a lot of mental capacity there. He went and he named all of them, to, to name all the animals that God created, and then you remember them, their, their names, and you go through. This one was, uh, it, it was amazing. He goes through all of, it, all, all, all of them, but in the end, it looks like God is saying, I don't see any helper here. Now, why could these animals not help him? Is there because they had no intelligence? Why could they not help him? Ooh, this is a real question. Why could they not help him? I have the ability to think. What else? They couldn't have it. That's closer. Yeah. Remember what was said? What was the thing that distinguished men from all everything else? That Sorry? They were not made in the image of God. They did not have the breath of life from God in them. They did not have the relationship with God that he had. In order for someone to work for God, and this is true in church, in order for you to serve in ministry, you better have a real relationship with God. If you try to serve God and you don't know God, you don't really have a relationship with him, you will burn out. The moment somebody looks at you the wrong way, you'll say, I'm done with this. Or the moment somebody doesn't serve with you the way you want it, you're going to get frustrated and quit. You have to have a relationship with the Lord. And Adam looked at all these animals here, and he looked at them and said, I don't see the life of God in these people here. I don't see the relationship with God that I have. I don't see it in here. I said that without the relationship with God, man becomes like an animal. If you come to me, and some people have, you come to me and say, Freddie, hey, I met this girl. I'm interested in her. I am going to ask you, do you believe unequivocally, definitely, for sure, that this person has the life of God in them? Are they born again? Do they know God? Do they walk with God? If your answer, and I've had different answers from people give to me, and when the answer is no, I say I have no more counsel for you. Counseling is over. You already know the answer. That's a no. It is a non-starter. The primary thing, the number one thing to evaluate in a person is whether they have a relationship with God. If a girl comes to me and says, I'm interested in a guy, I'm going to ask you, are you for sure, without question, without hesitation, are you sure he is a person who has the life of God in them? If the answer is, I don't know, I'm not sure, he might be, then you are already on the wrong path. I tell you that the majority of Christians, I'm talking about people who were born again and were making decisions as born again people, that is not the way they think about this thing. The way people go about it, they say, you know what? I like bowling. Does she like bowling too? I like basketball. Does she like basketball? I like watching movies at 9.30 p.m. Does she like watching them at 8 p.m.? If she does, then it's not going to work. Let me find somebody who likes it at 9.30 p.m. And so you can go on websites where you can choose exactly what you want. It's almost like ordering from a menu. You can choose all the ingredients you want, and you say, this is exactly the meal. But you, look, and I'm not, uh, I'm, I'm not trying to say that that's wrong or that you shouldn't go on the website. Not, not at all. My point is, what are the qualifications that you are looking for, the thing that qualifies a person to work and operate in the purposes of God, is that they be properly related to God. So, when God created the man out of the ground, 
and breathed the life of God in the man, when the man opened his eyes, the first person he saw was God. And he walked with God before he had any idea of a helper. Now, here's what happens in verse 21. So the Lord, there was no helper found, so the Lord caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's rib, um, closed up the, 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 the place with flesh, then the Lord made the woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. Notice that God did not create uh, the, the woman the way cre he, cre he created all the other animals who were just created out of nothing. He created out of the rib. Why? Because so that she may have the same life in her that was in the man. And so when the woman opened her eyes, it says here, God brought her to the man. Meaning, God created her, in, took the rib, and created her in some other part of the garden. And then God had to bring the, that woman to him. What does that mean? It means that, as I said, when the man was created and he opened his eyes for the first time, the first person he saw was God. And you may want to know, by the way, that man was created on the sixth day. So the first day that man lived was the day of rest. Before he worked, he walked with God, and then he began to work. So then God created the woman, and when the woman opened her eyes, the first person she saw was God. And she walked with God. She had a history with God before she had a, re a history with a man. There was a vision of God before there was a vision of a man. There was a history with God because of, before there was a history with a man. There was a walk with God before there was a walk with a man. The same for the man. Before he had any idea of a woman, he walked with God. What happens today is that we do not care about spiritual things as much. That's the truth. Most guys, they look at a girl, they study the curves, and they look at the face, and they, you know, and the girls do something similar. And then people get together, and after that, they have problems, they come for counseling, and all the problems are spiritual. It's because the foundation were rushed over. Now, I know that this is not the stuff that, you know, when you go, you hear about... Um, um, a lot of marriage stuff you hear about people talking about, you know, this is how many times you have to say I love you. This is how many times you do. All those things are fine, but that's not the foundation. You know, the, 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 the foundation of the house, the, the, when you go into that basement, that concrete, that's usually not the sexiest part of the house. It's not the most appealing part of the house. It all looks all rugged and cement and all that, but that's what holds that house in place against a storm. This may not be the most interesting thing to talk about, but this is what keeps people from the storm. It's when people evaluate the spiritual and the character of people. The truth is that is not, yeah, do people think about that? Yeah, that's fine, but the reality is other things are more important. But it was not so at the beginning. When God created the man and the woman, it was about two people who independently had a relationship with God. His relationship with God was not through her. Her relationship with God was not through him. Each one was related to God. Each one knew God. And this was a woman. The Bible said the Lord brought her to the man. So she's a woman who could hear from God and follow God to where he was leading her. Is that the kind of person you're looking for? Let me ask you honestly, is that what you're looking for? You know, there's two people that in the Bible that I've been recently, in my recent reading of the Bible, just fascinated by. And um, one of them is Ruth. I was going to mention her on Sunday, but I didn't get to. 
She's, um, she represents the church. That's why I was going to uh, mention her. Very uncharacteristic in the Old Testament. Usually when there is a prominent woman like that, especially she's getting married, they'll say something about her looks. There is not a word about Ruth's look in the whole book. Do you ever notice that? I never noticed that until the last time I read the book. Uh, no, no, he doesn't use the word beautiful. It just says that there's a woman here. The closest statement to that is when Naomi tells her, uh, wear your best clothes. That's the closest thing to that. But there's, otherwise there's no mention. Unlike Esther, where the, it describes her, she, the whole thing is about character. It, which, because in the New Testament, believe it or not, there is not a single mention of a woman's looks. Not one. In the whole New Testament. There's plenty in the Old Testament to tell you it's a whole new way of thinking. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm not going to cover that today. I'm not saying that looks are not important. Uh, we're not all spirits, right? You all are not spirits sitting on these chairs. You, we do have bodies, but it is interesting that all I'm saying is that the Bible emphasizes the life, the life and the character. It is interesting to me because I get concerned sometimes when people tell me they're interested in someone and that person just does not know God and does not walk with God. It makes me worried, not because of the issues and the problems they're going to have later. I worry about the spiritual state of the person who has such an interest. Because if I... If you're, if you're a human, a normally functioning human being, and I brought to you a corpse, a dead body, and you say, whoa, that body looks so great, I want to marry her. I'm like, wait, don't you realize that thing is dead? There's no life there? No, but she's so pretty. Like, look, look, look. And... I'm like, don't you realize that thing smells bad? He's like, no, no, but it looks really good. I want why do you think of a man like that? You'll be like, something is wrong with your senses. You can't recognize life from death. Now, the contrast between physical death and physical life is tiny compared to the contrast between spiritual life and spiritual death. They're not even close. So when somebody is telling me they're all enamored with this person who has no life of God, I worry whether you're alive. I worry whether your spiritual senses work. I'm being honest with you. Why would you want to be with someone who cares nothing about Jesus Christ? Why are you going to sit around on the table and talk about You know, if you look at some one day, everything else, everything that's physical is going to pass away. You all are all good looking now, but one day you're not going to look so good. Monday, the wrinkles will come, the gray hair will come, you can do your best to hide it. The Bible says the outward tent is decaying. We fight that decay as much as we can. We work out, and you should. Um, we eat healthy, you should try to. But the Bible says the outward tent is decaying, and the Bible is going to be true. It is, you are decaying, we're all decaying in the outward body. But the Bible says the inner person is being renewed in the likeness of Christ. When you're going to be old, with someone who doesn't look so good, has no spiritual life in them, you're going to be in a bad, bad place. What are you going to talk about? What's going to keep you interested What's going to keep you charmed? But 
You know who the most beautiful people on earth are, in my opinion? Old believers who have walked with God. I went to visit my mom for some days, for about twice. I took a couple of days off to travel to another state and meet a gentleman that I have known for maybe 16 years since I was in college. And um, just an outstanding, outstanding, outstanding man of God. He's in his 80s, over 80 years old. And he was speaking at a conference, but I've known him so in the, between the session. We just got to talk and to catch up. I hadn't seen him since before COVID. He's really been an asset. He's planted churches, many churches, written many Christian books. Um, you likely won't know his name, but he has now sought fame for someone I highly respect. And we sat down and we talked about the Lord. And with him, with him and his wife, the same. We talked about the Lord. He was telling me about Jesus Christ, telling me, you know, Freddie, I'm not even interested in sermons anymore. I want to live the life, the, 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 the life of God. Tell me the, 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 the center of the world is the cross, and on the cross is the sacrifice of Jesus. This is how you keep away from sin. Meditate on the cross. I sat there, I listened to him. It was so good. <laughs> It was, so, it was worth me taking a plane and leaving my mom for a couple of days and flying there. It really was. Over 80 years old. Still with as much fire and passion for the Lord as ever. There is a lady and her husband. They're older than me. Her son is my age. Her youngest son is my age. They've known me since I was in high school. They pray for me. Twice a day, they tell me. And I go there sometime when I travel. They live in Virginia. I go there and I see them and I sit down in her living room and for two, three, four hours we talk about Jesus Christ. Those are the most beautiful people on the earth. There will be one day when you won't, you won't look like you look when you were now. But the inner beauty is going to be there and be renewed if you walk with the Lord. All I'm trying to say, it's about walking with God, getting together with someone who also genuinely cares about spiritual things. And then together, you do something that is meaningful to God. So, the, God, brought the, the, God brought the woman to the man, and when the man saw her, the Bible said in verse 23, this is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. It shall be called woman. She was taken out of man. Wow, that, 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 that sounds like romance. This is flesh of my flesh, bones of my bones. So it's not all concrete and basement and, and foundation. It does get to the other stuff, and we have a whole book, Song of Songs, for that. But that's not the foundation but, it's, but I'm not saying that that's all it is. That I'm saying that the foundation is what's often skipped over. Skipped over. And now you know what happened in chapter 3. In order for them to maintain that walk with God, it was conditioned on obedience. God told them, do not eat of this tree, the good knowledge of good and evil. They disobeyed the Lord. They listened to the devil, and they sinned. And what happened is the relationship with God was broken. And here is what God said to Adam um, in chapter three, verse nineteen. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground. Says from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. Wait, he was not just dust. He was dust with the breath of God in it. But now, with the relationship with God broken, this was the result. It was all dust. He became just like the other animals. And the image of God was no longer there. 
You see that in chapter 5, verse 3, when Adam lived 130 years old, he had a son in his own likeness, in his own image. It's no longer the image of God, it's the image of fallen Adam. Adam in his sinful state. And here is one other thing that happened when the man and the woman sinned. When God asked the man, what did you do? Did you disobey me? You know what he did? The woman you put here with me. Now, there is no record God ever forced him to marry her. He saw her and he recognized the life of God with her and he chose to be with her. But now that there was sin that came in between, when God was like, did you eat, eat of that tree? Simple yes or no question. You ask somebody a, sim a simple yes or no question, they give you neither. And he points to her, he says, no, I, I, don't, don't ask me about this fruit, this lady right here. Remember, you put her with me. She, she made me do this. He no longer, it was no longer, this is flesh of my flesh, blood of, bone of my bones. It was the woman you put here with me. And it is still like that today. Let me tell you, it is not natural. I'm going to transition into that as we close here. This is sinful man. He was using the woman. We were supposed to love people and use things. In our fallen nature, we love things and we use people. And he was using his wife as a shield against the wrath of God, trying to. And when God asked the woman, did you eat of the fruit? The woman said, the serpent. Everybody pointed at somebody else. And no one owned up to anything. This is, this is our fallen nature. We don't own up to things. God convicts us, confronts us about things. We, 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 don't, we don't want to acknowledge. You know what the problem is in all relationships? It's sin. Sin brought a broken relationship, not just between God and the man, and God and the woman. He brought brokenness between the two of them. But we thank God for Christ. God sent his son to come into the world and die for us and give us new life. In Christ, God brings us back to a place spiritually that is better than when Adam, where Adam was before he fell. The redemptive work of God through Jesus Christ brings us in a relationship with God that is higher than what Adam and Eve had prior to their falling. There's a glory in the New Testament, the glory in the New Covenant. And that reality, the transformation that God brings through Jesus Christ, does change everything. I do want to mention one thing before I move on. Sorry, I was going to go to the New Testament now. This is the problem where you teach without notes. You might forget some, something, but thank God for reminding me of this. Um, after Adam said, shall be called woman, for she was taken from man, here is the first instruction given to humankind, not just to the men, to both. This is the first commandment given. Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, will be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. So there's the command. A man will leave, number one, unite, Number two, one flesh, number three. Okay? That's the order in which things are supposed to happen. You first of all become mature enough spiritually, emotionally, financially to be able to leave your father and mother. And then you unite or you cleave in some translation. It says, I mean the same thing. You officially come together. That's a marriage. You get married. 
And then, third, you have one flesh, that's physical love. In our generation, we flip that the opposite. We start with one flesh, fornication, sleeping with your girlfriend or boyfriend. Then maybe one day we get married, and then for some people, that's after that that they leave. Now, we have a lot of problems in our society today. Um, crime, some poverty, relatively, even some depressions, you can trace a lot of that to someone not obeying this commandment. There's research that was done, that's, uh, that's somebody, I forgot the book, that said if you graduate from high school, you get married before you have a child, your chances of being in poverty drops by like 80%, something crazy like that. It's all acknowledging the wisdom of the Word of God. And so, we, I, wanna, I do want to say that because we're an overly sexualized society with Hollywood, without, and it causes so much damage to relationship. It causes so much damage in people. I don't know what the numbers are now. I haven't looked. The average person has so many relationships before they get into a marriage. Let me, let me tell you, and people think they're having fun. They're not having fun. Listen, I know some, some people will listen to this later. Some young people, some of you are in, in youth group. I want to say to you, don't believe the folks who tell you they're having fun. There's pleasure in sin, but even some poisons taste good when you're drinking them. There is pleasure, the Bible says there's pleasure in sin, but it's a fleeting pleasure. When you think about the issues that these things cause, you have a man, you, have, you get into a relationship with someone, okay? Girl number one was the one who gave you the kisses like you couldn't believe. The number one, the, you break up with her, then you're with the second woman. She's one, this one is the best hugger or whatever. And then this other one was the one with whom you had so much more pleasure in bed. And this one was, had a different, had something that was uh, unique about her. Sexually, I mean. And now, finally, you end up with a fifth guy, a fifth uh, uh, lady. You marry her. And now you're expecting her to be what all of these other ones were, and that one person is going to be able to really do that? You see why there's so much dissatisfaction? Or you're a guy, you watch so much pornography, that's a huge problem. It's a billions of dollar industry where they pay these actresses to act in ways that no normal woman acts. Then you get married, and you start to expect your wife to act like that, then she doesn't, and you say, what's wrong with this girl? There's nothing wrong with her, something wrong with you, because you, you built up some un, unrealistic expectations. There was a, a, a front cover story in Times Magazine about this, the kind of problem that that's causing. That's not coming from the church, coming from the world. The white, and the same is true. Look, there's so much brokenness over this because there was, in many cases, it was just ignorance. People did not know any better. But we do need to share this with many who are growing up in church so that they'll avoid making these mistakes. People think they're having fun. No, they're creating complications for themselves for later. Don't believe anybody who tells you these things don't matter. They're lying to you. They are lying to you. It's not fun. It's creating problems for yourself for later. It's going to come back to bite in some way. Now there's the grace of God, but the grace of God does not mean, you know, when you, God created the skin so that when you get a cut, the skin heals, okay? What do you think of somebody who tells you 
please cut yourself. God has made biological processes. The blood will coagulate. The skin, the proteins will come back. The skin will heal over. I had somebody when I was in college tell me um, in my dorm where I lived. He was serious. I couldn't believe an intelligent person was telling me this. He said, you know, Freddie, you got to try to getting drunk. You know, like, how are you going to help people if you never know what it's like? You know, I know you want to preach the gospel. Why, how are you going to know what's going on what, what, if, you, if you don't try it? I looked at this guy. I was like, I, was like, I told him, if I want to become an orthopedic surgeon, I should go and grab a hammer and break my leg. And then I will sympathize with my patients from now on. That's just so silly. Do not... Um, the wise people know that what God says is wise. I was somewhere, I'm going to start closing. I ran out of time. There's a lot of things I have to say. I won't say that. That's okay. Some other days we'll continue this. I was somewhere here in Boston not too long ago with some friends who had invited me to, to go. It was a place where a lot of people who are young, smart, and very rich live in some penthouse place in Boston, fancy place. We're having, um, we're having a conversation, and it turned into one of the great times of sharing the gospel that I've had in a long time. We really shared the gospel, me and a brother who was with me. Someone, and one of the people who was there, uh, an unbelieving lady who was describing her life, and it was sad, sad, sad to hear. She asked me, why does your God doesn't want people to have sex before marriage? She said, because she's been going around and she just does it, she does not care. And I said to her, look, I can give you, I could give you some smart answer. I can tell you about the psychology of it, the research and all this, but I say I'll be lying to you. Because the reason why I don't do it is simple. Because God says, don't do it. It's as simple as that. God said, don't do it. I won't do it. And I know that time will prove that those who obey the Lord turn out to be the wisest. God's word is going to prove true for everybody, either by obeying it and reaping the blessings from it or by disobeying it and reaping the pain from it. So let me leave that and let me go to another familiar passage. It's all a familiar passage that you have uh, heard before, but uh, I do hope that you do learn something from it today. Um, I'm just going to end with this. This is a very um, common passage that everyone knows. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. Now let me preface this. I didn't, I didn't write the book. I just teach it when they ask me to. And um, so, chapter 5, verse 22. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, and Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is Savior. Sisters, can you say amen? Man, that was weak. I didn't write this. The book says it. Um, let me read that again. <laughs> Wives, submit to your husband as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Sisters, can you say amen? amen. All right, that was much better. I was like, Yo, if you don't believe the Bible, we're in a bad, bad state. Okay. Husbands, love your wife just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, 
to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with waters through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain, wrinkles, or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Husband, say, oh, no, husband. Brothers, say amen. Amen. Wow, that was, that was very good. Muy fuerte. Muy bien. Um, in this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. Who loves, who loves, he who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it, just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. And then he quotes this, For this reason, a man who leave his father and mother will be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So, I have heard, so let me go back to that verse 22, I have heard more excuses by preachers about this verse than about any other verse in the Bible because it just does not fit our culture. Um, Wives, submit to your, to your husband. Wait, what? <laughs> but I'm not going to here to debate that That's sermon for another day, but I will simply say what I said earlier. Those who are wise do as God say, and they reap the blessings from it. The Word of God is going to prove to be right. It doesn't matter what the culture says. Um, I will simply point that it says, submit the, the, the husband is head of his wife, as Christ is head over the church. It's not as the president of the United States is head over the United States. It's a different kind of headship. It's the headship that leads the person. There is really... Uh, in the, I have five minutes. Uh, no, three minutes. So um, here's what I want to say about this. There are, three, there are four commands that God has given to direct the home. It's not complicated. There's just these four. I'm, I'm listing the first three. Um, I'm only going to talk about the first two here. Wife, submit to your husband as to the Lord. How do you prepare to be able to obey that? You are not going to one day get married. Now, because I know a lot of people that say they believe this. It's one thing to say to believe, you believe it. It's another thing to do it. And you're not going to get married one day, and then suddenly you're going to turn into somebody who's How You know how you, you learn to do that? By submitting now. Before it says, wives, submit to your husbands, this is a command that is given to everybody. Verse 21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Before the Bible asks, now men like to quote this verse. Now, brothers, say amen on verse 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Brothers, can you say amen to that? Amen. All right. Before the Bible tells women, Submit to their husband. It tells all believers to submit to one another. So I have a simple question for you. Have you ever submitted to anybody? Do you submit to anyone? Do you have a heart of submission today? There are some people who never submitted to anyone. They were rebellious against their parents, rebellious against their teachers, rebellious against their bosses, rebellious against their pastors, rebellious against landlords. Every, they have a problem with everybody that has, a, has an authority figure. They end up being a problem when they get married as well. The human heart is consistent. You are not going to be rebellious to all these authorities, and then one day you get married, and then now you'll be a submissive person. It does not work like that. So we have to learn that today. And then the Bible says, Husband, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Now, the thing that you may have never thought of, I never heard this preached before. I never heard anybody mention this before. This is also a command that is not given only to husbands loving their wives as Christ loved the church. Whereas did the Bible says to love as Christ loved? John 13, 34, love one another as I have loved you. It's the same thing. Husband, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Jesus said to all believers, love one another as I have loved you. So I want to ask you, do you obey that? Is there anybody here in church? You've been part of this church for a while. Let me ask you honestly as I close here. Has there been, does anybody here, can, is there anyone in the church who can say yeah? 
He loves me. She loves me. I'm not talking about romantic love here. I'm talking about Jesus said, love one another as Christ loved the church. Have you learned to love anybody? Or even at church, it's all about yourself. Have you learned to love people? Who here can say, this brother, the sister, loves me, loves my children, loves my family? Have you, have, do you have that? Okay. Praise the Lord. And is there anybody that you help? We talked about being a helper. Is there anybody that you can say you help today at church? I'm standing here, I'm helping. You all may think of me as a leader, but in my mind, at Calvary Chapel, I'm a helper. I'm here to help the senior pastor. And I didn't get to cover that. Yeah, I can't. We're, we're out of time. I gotta stop. So, <laughs> all right. So, Nicole. So, I, I wasn't gonna say. Look, being a helper is not a, a diminutive. The Holy Spirit is called a helper. You see that in John chapter 15, and Jesus repeats that on another, in another passage as well that I was going to read, but we're out. So the Holy Spirit is helper. Now, if you want to know all about that, we have the spiritual growth series this Friday. I'm going to be talking about the Holy Spirit, and that's one of the things we're going to talk about. The Holy Spirit has been sent to be a helper. You don't see him, but he's a powerful force that helps the believer. So before the Holy Spirit was called a helper in the Bible, Eve was called a helper. It's a great title. 